Welcome to episode 109 of Crack the Customer Code. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash customer code. I'm Jeannie Walters, and I'm here with the wizard of wonderful customer service, Adam <laughs> Toporek, who also happens to be my co-host. Yes. <laughs> I think you got those out of order because you got to go in order of importance. And being your co-host, Jeannie, uh, is the most important thing I can wow, do. Wow, listen to that. Very well done. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very that, much. <laughs> that will buy you some goodwill. Excellent. Well, that's what I was going for. So how you been? I've been good. I've been good. It's been, um, it's been really active this spring with lots of speaking and workshops. And I'm doing more around patient experience, which is kind of fun. And healthcare. It's not fun, actually. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's real work, but it's also uh, it's important work. I feel like so that's that's really cool to be doing. Um, so yeah, it's all it's all good. How about you? Well, I feel like you're patient often, but I think that's a whole different thing. Ah, oh, nicely done. I am patient with you. No, 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 no. <laughs> it didn't mean that at all. <laughs> you completely flipped that around. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, everything's good. Business is hopping, workshops, speaking, uh, working on uh, refining a keynote. Not necessarily a brand new keynote, but changing it up. Got a big one coming up in May and uh, nice. a couple others scheduled. So rock and roll, ready to go. And Excellent. it's fun. And, you know, when I speak, one thing that's very important we learned from our episode with Sylvie DeGiusto mm -hmm. is you have to be fashionable. Listen to you. <laughs> It's true, though. It's true. You have to think about that when you speak. And I actually have had things where I'm like, oh, yeah, this works. And then I see a picture of myself on stage and I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm never doing that again. It is so much easier to be a guy. I will give us that. It is exactly. just dark suit, decent shirt. Mm -hmm. You make sure the shoes are shine. Nothing's in your teeth. You're pretty much good to go. <laughs> well, and you can also like wear the same suit every once in a while and for women who speak that's a challenge really because if you get time. photographs <laughs> you have to be sure that you're not always seen in the same thing <laughs> I, I know i feel sorry for you i really do i mean it is truly a whole added layer of complexity which i love complexity as you know uh <laughs> so yeah i actually feel sorry for you because i mean yeah i'll wear the same suit what what there's two colors if you're you know it's like right. dark gray dark blue that's about right it. <laughs> it's all the same suit even if it's not the same suit right no I think it, it's a challenge it really is and I also think that like business casual can be so misleading and all of those things but fashion is interesting what can I say because you're it fashion is. forward Jeannie well I I like that you think that as I'm in my workout clothes right now <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, it's, I think right now fashion is starting to feel the pressure of how quickly things move in today's world and how uh, things that they used to rely on for decades to build anticipation, that's all changing. And so some of the biggest fashion houses, as they're known, um, they're really, they've been struggling with this issue and they've been struggling with what to do. And then there are these disruptors who are coming along and changing the landscape across the board. So I think it's it's fun to think about fashion, but when you look at the business side of it, it is hardcore. You've well, really got to deliver. It's tough. And I, yeah, I've never had an interest in fashion per se, or you know, it's just not something that I'm interested in. But I saw that, you know, I, I know you had already heard about Zara. I saw that mm -hmm. uh, keynote speech 
which we'll, we'll link up in the show notes where the guy was talking about what Zara is doing and how they're just literally changing uh, fashion to something that's virtually almost real time. I mean, it's yeah. such a short turnaround window. It's phenomenal. And mm-hmm. I, I know you being so fashion forward are familiar with Zara. So, but you, you know, we had some really interesting discussions once we uh, both watched that keynote. So why don't mm-hmm. you tell us, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what Zara is doing. Well, and I, I want to give some background on Zara because they're a Spanish based re- or Spain based, I should say retailer. And uh, they kind of went through Europe and then they've been in the U S for several years now, but the U S just started like we loved them right away (laughs) they came in and we were like yes and I first saw them in New York several years ago and it's a store where part of what they do is they keep things moving so quickly so instead of having like a spring line and a fall line and what other retailers do they can update things up to twice a week so people get really excited customers get excited to go into the stores because you never quite know what you're going to see you know it's going to be new Sometimes they roll things out after a runway show, after people see these new trends, they roll them out within days. They don't overdo quantities. And so what that means is, unlike some of the other retailers who are always having inventory issues and trying to have sales and stuff to get inventory off the floor, they don't have that problem because they limit their quantities. So the other thing that does is it increases demand when somebody goes in there because you know, and this has happened to me. You know that if you go, oh, I'm going to think about this and come back tomorrow when I'm like, maybe I don't need a silver trench coat for picking up the kids at school. <laughs> like, maybe I don't need that. Uh, who doesn't? <laughs> so you think I'm going to give myself 24 hours and then you you realize, oh, my God, you need that more than anything you've ever needed before. <laughs> and you go back to the store and it's gone. And when it's gone at Zara, it's gone, gone. Well, let's, yeah, let's break that down a little so how that works for people. Because so what Zara is doing is they are actually doing these very small runs and they have, it's just so amazing from a customer experience standpoint and a feedback standpoint. They actually have their sales reps in the store collecting feedback on every piece. So every night they go in, they write down what every customer said. I don't like the zipper here. I wish the red was a little lighter, whatever it may be. And they go in and they put that in and they collect that data from every one of their stores and then they will do another run and they are able to turn this process that is like six to eight to 12 months for a lot of manufacturers down to weeks. And it also uses the scarcity principle because like you said, if you don't buy that dress today, mm-hmm. there's going to be a different one there based on that feedback in a That's week. That's right. That's right. And they also rely on... Real-time sales information, they, they monitor 24-7, 24 hours a day in their data processing center at their headquarters, and they literally watch sales happen across the globe. And what that tells them is what's working and what's not in real time. So they have one team looking at that, and then they also have a team who looks at things like the what they call the overheard, <laughs> which is anything that a customer says that they can get back, and then they filter that down to the regions and they filter that back to their manufacturers. So they don't rely on some of the more traditional feedback models like surveys and collecting data that is essentially old by the time you get it. They're relying on real-time communication and 
really making sure that they are responding in a way that is faster than anyone else. And they have become a behemoth. And in fact, they're the CEO of their holding organization. I believe he's the fourth richest person in the world now because they're doing pretty well. <laughs> well, that was a funny part in that uh, keynote speech was they showed a picture of the guy and he's, yeah, he's like this 60 he's, something, whatever. He's 80 something. Yeah, yeah, he's he's 80 really, something. and he looks it, he looks old yeah. and he's overweight and he's not fashionable at all in how he dresses. And he's, Guy's like, yeah, I just want to tell every like you know, twenty year old uh, girl that buys right. a stylish dress, like this is the guy that designed your dress. <laughs> <laughs> it was really well, funny, but uh, you know, one thing is, how is this going to play out in lower mm-hmm. uh, tiers of clothing? Like, it's very interesting. A lot of this innovation happens at the high end because they have the margins and the lack of scale. I mean, they have scale compared to a small business, but compared to, you know, trying Mm -hmm. to fill the the gaps inventory or something like that, you know, they have a a much smaller scale in a lot of cases. So how is is this going to play out and for bigger retailers? Do you think this is the future? I do. And actually, Zara is not high end. I mean, part of what makes them so appealing is they have price points that are very accessible. And so... uh, But they're not, let's be clear, they're not Old Navy either. They're just not... I mean, well, they're, they're higher. Right. Right? I mean, they're 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 kind of they're probably closer to Old Navy than you might think. Really? And by price point, yeah, I I do. Um, you can get really great stuff, and it doesn't break the bank, and that's part of why they're so popular. Um, but they also don't do sales and things like that because they don't need to the way they manage their inventory. Well, so they also don't have inventory costs. Right. Com- exactly. I mean, there there are all sorts of things that play into this. They also experiment a lot. So they're experimenting with um, the ungendered collection, which is basically just gray sweatshirts and t-shirts right now. It's kind of silly, but uh, it got a lot of fanfare in the press and they didn't say anything about it. They, they put it out with no fanfare. And so that tells you how closely they're being watched, but they also um, are experimenting with things like a self-checkout which if you think about it for a retailer like this is pretty interesting because we're used to that in the drugstore and at grocery stores, but they have like a sleek little kiosk thing and uh, shopping bags and all that you would expect, but you do it yourself. So they're, they're looking into ways to keep costs down in different ways. But I think to your point, what has been happening is some of the some of the retailers that we might expect experimenting with this stuff have been doing it for a while and customers are starting to expect it. The very high end, the luxury brands, they are really struggling because part of their model is about being inaccessible. (laughs) Part of their model is that they don't want everybody to feel like they're included. They have an exclusive model. And so when they would have their runway shows, it would take four to eight months to get those clothes, if you're at the runway show and you say, I want that tomorrow, that was impossible. Now what's happening is there's disruption happening there too because people are demanding it. Customers want things when they want them, which is immediately. And so Burberry and Tom Ford actually were some of the first ones to say, you know what, everything we show on our runway during Fashion Week will be available immediately. And this was seen as totally revolutionary. And it's really just a totally different way of going about things because they're basically making it accessible for the first time. And that's something that other luxury brands, especially like the very high, like Chanel and Louis Vuitton and all the brands that you love, Adam, um, but they are. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
There, I, I, I often put that all of those things in my coach bag when I'm shopping. <laughs> well, they are struggling because even social media, they didn't quite know what to do with for years because, again, that's a two-way communication and they're not used to that. And so I think it's really interesting because for decades, they did things a certain way because it worked, because it was seen as the model. And they said, basically, they looked down on their nose and said, why should we change it? You know, like... This is what we do. And now customers are in a position where they're basically saying, the brand is not enough. My needs are also important. And so I don't want to wait for this brand anymore. I want to actually get things when I want them. And they're all responding to that in their own ways. It's finally happening with fashion beyond just what Zara is doing, which is amazing in its own right. So it's it's just a really, again, it's a challenging time out there because customer experience matters. Customers are more willing to ask for what they want and brands have to adapt and change. And if they're not willing to do that, they will die, basically. Well, let me shift the question then. If price isn't what's really separating them, if they're more on the lower end, which it looks like they are, then is scale going to be a question? So in other words, is target... Or Marshalls, all these places where there's just piles of clothes for like acres yep. almost, and we're just going through a million where selection for such a wide variety of people is important. Mm-hmm. Do they ever go to this model, or does it sort of top out with brands, with individual brands that have a specific niche market or niche uh, customer base? That's a great question. I think that... You notice I asked you the questions on the fashion because I don't know anything (laughs) about this. (laughs) Um, Well, with like a Marshalls and a TJ Maxx model, they are really... They're appealing to a different shopping experience because they... One of the really smart things they started doing several years ago was shifting the conversation about their brand. So instead of just saying discount and, you know, we have kind of things that you have to... We have everything discounted, used to be their brand. Now they they talk about it as if it's a treasure hunt. And they go after those shoppers who say, I like to look for things in this in this huge selection. I want to find the one piece that, you know, is 50% off what I would pay in a department store. And I'm thrilled with it. And I'm going to Instagram it. And they have special hashtags for these things and everything. Because they want people to talk about the experience in that way. So in some ways, they've shifted the conversation But Target, to your point, they started uh, the whole movement of collaborating with designers. So Target and now H&M and some other brands are doing this, but Target really is the one who started this because instead of just having the regular brands that they carry, they actually started saying, okay, in, you know, March of 2013, we're going to partner with this specific designer and they they promote it ahead of time. Everybody knows it's limited edition. Everybody knows it's going to be a great price point, but they have huge issues with scale when they do this, huge issues. And in fact, last year, 2015, they did something with Lily Pulitzer, who she makes all these very floral feminine dresses, which I'm sure you're aware of, Adam. But I, um, <laughs> you know, I, I could, I, that might be the topic of my second book. It, it could, really could be. <laughs> but her stuff was so popular, and they weren't really prepared for it from an infrastructure and a scale perspective that they it became kind of a nightmare because first of all, people camped out to get to be first in line at these stores. Which, I was there. I know. 
the, <laughs> of course you were. Um, which, of course, the regular employees at a Target are not really equipped to deal with that. So that was one thing. The other thing is there was a huge aftermarket on eBay and places like that because of the scarcity. So they had that issue. They also uh, had their site, Target.com, actually crashed during this because people were so anxious to get to get involved. So wow. I think there are huge issues with scale with lots of these models. And the Zara model is so fascinating because they're flipping it all on its head. They're basically saying instead of just what you were talking about, instead of waiting for all this feedback, instead of waiting for the inventory to just sit there, we're going to make changes as we go in real time. I think that has to be the model moving forward. I really do. But I don't know if we're ever going to get there. Yeah, I, I don't. I see it. I mean, to my, I'll try to answer my own question now. I guess I, I see it being limited to individual brands because I still think people that sell multiple brands do that based on a wide selection. That's what they sell. That's what Target sells. Is you can go there and get everything mm -hmm. that you need and get it cheap. And they're selling price and selection more than customization and fashion and all that. So yeah, I do wonder, I, I can't really see how it applies. Not, not because they couldn't do it logistically. You got, you know, Target can do whatever it says it's a bank account to most likely, but, <laughs> um, you know, it, that I don't know that it would ever fit their model or any time in the foreseeable future. Now, if their model mm -hmm. develops or changes, that's a different issue. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for individual brands, it gets really fascinating and it even gets more fascinating when you look at, what happens in 10 years when you start having more and more people buy their clothes this way, 18-year-olds that become 28-year-olds, and they expect that this is how they shop? Yep, that's That could exactly get really right. interesting. The more people, the more companies do it, the more it will, you know, if one company does it, it's neat, and we do a podcast episode about it. Mm -hmm. Now, if 10 companies do it, it starts to move the model. Well, and I think that's exactly what's happening with luxury right now, because their customer base is starting to age out, frankly, right. and they're realizing that they better appeal to new customers. And the younger customers shop completely differently, and they have completely different expectations. And so they're just starting to catch up on all this and figure out, like, we can, we can say that we're, quote unquote, exclusive, but we still have to invite you in. We still have to make sure that you have a way in so that and that you get what you need when you want it. And that's the piece that they used to always control. So I think you just hit on it there where it's like, if you're not paying attention to these trends, then you're going to have a whole category of customers come up, a whole generation, and basically say, the way you're doing it doesn't work for me. So I'm just going to ignore you and you're going to die as a brand. I mean, essentially, that's what we're talking about. So it is important to look at these things and how people want it and and the the trendsetters like Zara who are really setting the stage for expectations for customers across any industry. So it's it's cool stuff. I want you to reveal something personal to me on this episode before we uh -oh. close it out. Did you have a side bet with my wife to see if you could actually get me to discuss floral patterns <laughs> on the air? I did not. Is that what I, happened? Is that I how this happened? Like I feel like a champ uh, for doing it. Oh, yeah. You, you, you did a good job with that. Well, uh, it's been fun talking about fashion. Uh, so we <laughs> hope you enjoyed episode 109 of Crack the Customer Code, our review of the Devil Wears Prada. 
<laughs> you can see the show notes for this and all episodes. Subscribe and send us feedback at crackthecustomercode.com. I'm Jeannie Walters. Stay current on the latest customer experience trends and insights by going to 360connects.com slash subscribe. And don't forget, sign up for your Audible trial at audibletrial.com slash customer code. And we'd love to have you as a sponsor. So feel free to join us here at crackthecustomercode.com slash sponsor. And in case you didn't know, you weren't listening to the rest of the episode. I'm Adam Tepork, and you can connect with me and find out more about our customer service workshops and training at customersthatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.